0: this is eric lute pastor of the church at ellersley in windsor colorado the ministry of ellersley endeavors to once again see triumphant christianity stride upon the stage of time to see the church of jesus christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand we hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul if you would like to stream live or visit us in person or even support us financially please go to ellersley.com to learn So being Mother's Day, uh, it is a unique pressure that you have on, uh, you know, as a pastor to acknowledge that, right? And yet, you know, to preach on motherhood every time Mother's Day comes around seems a little too predictable, too, right? Uh, so my message is sort of half creative, and it's a, it's a really fun message. Uh, mixed with a nod towards mothers, okay? So I think at least all of those of you that are critiquing to say, is he going to speak on motherhood, at least you can feel like I, I gave a nod towards that. And even the title, I mean, look at this, she. It has a she in it, which should make all of you feel very loved and cared for as mothers out there. Uh, but she smiles. But I also want to you know, let you know that all of you that are not mothers... This is for you as well. And even those of you that are not she, uh, this is for all of us as the body of Christ. Isn't that nice? So this is an all-inclusive message. Sounds very modern uh, in that sense, doesn't it? So she smiles. So there's different ways that I could have said this. This comes from a Greek, uh, I'm sorry, a Hebrew word that I'm just about to introduce you to. But it could have been she smirks. Could have been she laughs. It could have been she rejoices. It could have been that she playfully anticipates. So there's some darker tones to this word in the Hebrew, and there's some lighter tones. Uh, I think we like to play upon the ones that are a little lighter, because when we function in accordance with the Spirit of God, we then play out the smiling side of this, the more pleasant side. If you function according to the flesh or the baser instincts of man, then. You would mock, or you would ridicule. You would play sport, or you know, poke at someone in uh, sarcastically. Okay, and so there's different gradients of how this word could work, but I'm going to start with the premise: she smiles. Okay, because I'm going to, and I'll introduce you to who the she is and what she would be smiling at, because uh, you know, we need the context for that. Sakak—it's not that actually that attractive of a word. You know how there's words that are like, oh, very poetic word. This one is not. Now, you could name your daughter this, and it would probably be you know, a very profound uh, thing, but sekock, Uh I don't know. Sekoch I'm not exactly sure. You know, I didn't name any of my daughters this just to let you know how I think about it, the sound of it, because I like the sound of words. And I think a name, if it's of a, a girl, should be beautiful, right? And so if you happen to name your daughter this, I will support it. Okay, I'll be 100% behind it. But it means to smile, to laugh, to play, to smirk, or to mock. And so it is that jovial, joking styling that we can have. And there are positive ways that you could use that, and there's negative ways you can use that. We're going to use it in the positive. So let's figure out who she is, because the name of my message is She Smiles. Well, we need to figure out who she is. And what is she smiling, smirking, and laughing at? So I'll unpack that as we progress. So Proverbs 31.25, I'm going to give you five different translations of this she that is smiling, and I will give you the context to this as we progress. Some of you just know what the context is, but I will cover it. In the King James, it says, she shall rejoice in time to come. So that word rejoice is our sekoch word. And in the New King James, you'll notice that it sounds very similar. It says, she shall rejoice in time to come. I actually don't really like that translation. I'm not trying to throw that one under the bus. It's just not my favorite one because uh, that the term rejoicing for many of us has a certain connotation to it or nature to it that I don't think captures all that I would like to see come out of this. The NIV is the one I grew up with, which was she can laugh at the days to come. I, I, I really like that one. Uh, and then here's from the ESV she laughs at the time to come. And then I'm going to land on what I'm going to call my favorites. You know, if I was voting on this one, this is the NASB, and that is she smiles at the future. So we're going to just draw that one out. She smiles at the future. Who is she? So in Proverbs 31, we're going to talk about this woman of virtue or the virtuous woman. And you know, there's been a lot of debate over Proverbs 31, and a lot of women do not like Proverbs 31. Isn't that interesting? I mean, it's this woman of virtue, and, which virtue is the same word that is going to be used for valiant of David's mighty men. And so this is woman of great strength. And then it goes on to describe in vivid detail this woman and how she reasons, thinks, how she approaches life. And there are a lot of women that do not like this because they have felt pressure to live out this unattainable, as they would call it, pattern of living. Now, one of the dangerous things we can do when we look at Scripture is you can take a portion of Scripture and you can see what it says, but not necessarily understand how it would be lived. And that is a classic illustration in Proverbs 31. If you just lay Proverbs 31 before a woman and say, live it, I would agree. A woman couldn't just live that it is supernatural. This is a repercussion or an outflow of something deeper that takes place. Now what I want to bring you into is first of all I don't mind you thinking of it as a she and I don't you know you could say oh is it wisdom because Proverbs is talking about wisdom you know and there's some different arguments that could be made towards that the other is that it is just what a godly woman woman does and okay that there's some good argument for that and the other one is it's a foreshadow of the new testament the bride the bride of Christ the she in the new testament is actually all of us. Which is why I said this gives a nod towards the woman. At the same time, it can bring in all of us. That there is a woman of virtue. That there is one who is supposed to live this life that truly showcases the kingdom of heaven in and through how she showcases it. Okay, so there's a lot of variables and and options on the table for how we could interact with that. But one thing I really love about this statement is this she is smiling at the future. Now, I just want to pause there because you're seeing the scripture, but I don't know that you're applying it to your own soul. You know how hard it is to smile at the days to come? Do you know how hard it is to smile at the future if your future looks bleak? If your future sort of looks like modern America? But modern America future, you know, the one that we have now where everyone's saying, yeah, the economy's about to collapse. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. And, or, yeah, it's just going to get worse in the days to come. Yeah, we need to be really preparing for, you know, bad things. It's like, if you are little, hearing that, that isn't the best portrayal of, you know, life that you want to be living, right? That doesn't give you much hope. And yet what we see about this she in this storyline is that she is smiling at the future. If we use the NIV, she laughs at the days to come. There is a quality there that is very, very important to us as the body of Christ. You see, the world will try and put a damper pedal on your perspective. They want to mar the days to come in your mind. Now, those days haven't even come yet, and yet you have someone squawking in your soul's ear telling you that they're going to be bad days. Now, I don't really care what is ahead. It makes no difference to the Christian. Did you know that? It doesn't matter if it's good times or hard times. Makes no difference. There is something that is a constant, and that is that God will be there with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That means no matter if it's easy times or hard times, however your humanity would grade them, You have something in the midst of it that gives you a grace, a buoy to lift you above those rocky, uh, stormy waters to be able to smile or rejoice or laugh, to sechak, to be able to furtively smirk at the circumstance around you and say, is that all you got? You have something greater than every bit of weight that the enemy could try and play against your life. You have God. So, this she that we are referring to smiles. That is something, if if you could just circle it in your Bible, circle it in your mind to say this is a quality of how this woman responds to every single circumstance in her life, all the foreboding about the future, all the the people that are giving trajectory reports of where things are headed, how dark it's going to be, how bad it will be just in the days to come. Our response isn't to say, oh, no, no. If that's the case, then I'm going to go into the dumps with my attitude. No, it's to actually smile. Now, how in the world could you do that? How could she be possibly smiling? Is she unaware of the days in which we live? So many of us have spent probably an undue amount of time focusing on the days in which we live. And that's partly due to the media consumption that is prevalent in our culture. News, media sources, are going to feed you everything that will remove a smile from your soul. It is hard to imagine that anyone could watch a news report of any kind and come away smiling at the future. Okay, now there could be different things, you know, like the Nuggets win you know, something like that, and they advance in the playoffs. That might cause you to smile. Uh, And, you know, there could be different things that could stir within you a reason to smile that does come from a news source, okay? So I can't just say that none of it could actually give you a sense of excitement. But most of it, in fact, the way that the news media functions is to create catastrophe for your soul that you have to come back the next day to see if you can still live and survive, Because things are so bad out there. And you become addicted to this news cycle. And it's sort of like what we could call curiosity slowing. When you're going down the street and there's a really bad accident, everyone slows down and they need to look at it. Welcome to the news source. Right there. They function off of the same principle. Fantastical disaster. And they want to get you to focus on it because for whatever reason as humans, we are strangely attracted to it. But what it does is it curtails hope. It actually mars your ability to see clearly the future. So there's something called foreboding. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's, it's sort of like the devil has his crystal ball and he's a fortune teller and he's saying bad things are in your future and that's called foreboding when you listen to it. When you listen to your forecast of the future, defined not by God, not by his word, not by his Holy Spirit, but by the enemy. When the enemy is telling you what is in your future, you're listening to a fortune teller who is not God. And that is a very, very dangerous thing for the soul, and it is so common and prevalent in our midst that we sometimes don't even see it. But what it hinders us from doing is smiling at the future. So how could she be possibly smiling? Is she unaware of the days in which we live? Isn't it an interesting thought to think that you could be fully aware of all these conspiracies to destroy truth, to undermine marriage and family, to create a dysfunction in the home, to create gender confusion, to create a marring of everything that is right and righteous, and to somehow turn it on its head and make evil good? You could even know about the conspiracy for this to happen, and guess what you could do? Smile. And I mean, how could you do that? That, That's impossible. How could you smile if you knew such things? If you knew that the enemy was up to no good? If you knew that, that, that the powers of darkness were conspiring to destroy God's truth in this generation? How could you smile? So Proverbs 31, and I'm going to go 10 through verse 31. So this is the context of she smiles. So this is talking about this woman of virtue, but I want you to just sort of see the full package here. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come, or she smiles at the future." She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. So I started with this question. How could she be possibly smiling? Is she unaware of the days in which we live? Now, there's an answer in that passage that I just read, but it's not as obvious. We have a tendency to get caught up in the works this woman is doing, as opposed to her condition of security and safety and how she is clothing herself. It says over and over and over again the the same thing, and I'll just bring up a few of them. What is her smiling secret? is the way I say it. She girds herself with strength. That's Proverbs 31:17. Her clothing is fine linen and purple, 31:22. And then strength and honor are her clothing, 31:25. In the New Testament, we're going to have a parallel with this, and we're going to see that Jesus himself is going to be termed clothing. He is going to be armor. He is going to be that in which we dress or clothe ourselves. So The way it is explained by Paul is that we are clothed in Adam. We are clothed in something that is destined for hell. And we must put off that first man or that first clothing, and we must be clothed in something different. And what we see is in so doing, we become one known as the bride of Christ. We become, in this storyline, The she, I know, a little awkward, especially in a gender-confused world. It's extra difficult to know how to talk about these things. But this is what this woman is actually doing. She is girding herself with strength. She is clothing herself in fine linen and purple. She is clothing herself with strength and honor. This is precisely what we do, and this is part of our secret of why we can smile. You see, this clothing is likened to a refuge or a fortress, which sounds strange. I mean, how many of us think of dressing ourselves in a castle? We don't, but in a strange way, we do. You see, when we're putting off Adam, we're putting off the little shanty that is built on sand. And we are exiting an unstable environment and entering a stable one. And if you were to enter into a strong castle, you wouldn't fear a stray arrow. If you're in a castle that has walls, let's say three feet thick of solid stone, would you fear an arrow? Uh Uh-oh, what if that arrow was a fiery arrow? You would not concern yourself because you are standing behind three-foot-thick stone walls. And that is precisely what you're going to see explained in the New Testament. Fear becomes irrational and illogical if you know your position, if you know your clothing, If you know that you are in Christ, and you have his armor, then you have faith as a shield, and that shield will quell all the fiery arrows of the evil one. So should you fear a fiery arrow? No, uh, that would not make sense, especially if a fiery arrow cannot make it through your shield. And if you know that your shield is promised to quell all the fiery arrows... If you know that it quells all of the fire arrows, why would you fear one of the fire arrows? And so you have something that is greater than what the enemy is dishing out. So why would you panic? Why would you fear? What should you do? Well, you could smirk. If you knew the enemy was giving his best and you knew you had something superior as far as a defense, what would be a reasonable response inside of you? How about that you would hold it in derision? How about that you would smile? Maybe laugh, maybe rejoice. All options on the table. It's, it's called sakak. And that's actually the context for it throughout the Bible when it's used. Is that it's a playful response and oftentimes demeaning to the one you are communicating with. Is that all you got? Because you have confidence in something greater. So, I just hinted at this, but I'm going to go towards this again. I've given this illustration many times, and it is not going to hurt to give it again. We'll call it the well-built house principle. Why should I fear the winter storm if I am well-clothed in my well-built house? We have some rough weather at times. I don't want to ever sell Colorado short. It is a great state, and our weather is not really that bad. Like, our bad winter storms are not as bad as those on the East Coast. As far as I'm concerned, the East Coast is terrible compared to our weather here, right? And even though we do have some cold weather, and we had, I think, this last winter, we got some negative temperatures, right? So say we have a rough winter storm coming through, and it's going to be negative temperatures. And if you're a homeless person, what would a reasonable thought B panic anxiety fear fretting i think so i think it makes total sense if you're homeless and you have your shopping cart and all you have is a bridge to hide under and cold weather's coming in you do not have clothing that is suited to offset what is coming but it's usually like christmas eve right the christmas eve feeling is in the air and you hear that it you know big storms coming in how do you respond? If you know that you have a well-built house and your windows shut all the way and your doors actually close and your furnace is working and you have a backup fire, you know, uh, that you can always, you know, kick on if, if you need to, what, what, how do you feel? Are you panicking? Are you fretting? Are you fearful of this storm coming in? Well, that would be what we would call illogical. In fact, you're sort of excited about it coming in. Why? Because you've been dreaming of a white Christmas and you're wanting to wake up on, uh, on Christmas morning and sing the song, right? And so you actually anticipate and even crave a little storm coming in on Christmas Eve. Why? How could you be so odd? It's not odd if you are well clothed. If you are clothed in the way that God intended you to be clothed, you do not fear the storm on the outside. Is there a storm? Yes. Should someone unclothed fear the storm? I think it's reasonable. (laughs) I think it makes total sense to fear the storm outside of that well-built house. But there is an invitation. The door is open. Come in. You do not need to be exposed to that storm. There is a hope. There is an answer. It's called a salvation, a saving from that storm. And when you have that saving, it should be proven in your attitude towards every storm. It just makes sense. And that is why the Bible treats fear, fretting, anxiety, and foreboding as totally ridiculous. It never once excuses it and every single time denounces it. Do not fear. Why would someone fear if you know who you are hidden in, if you know the bulwark and in, in which you found refuge, why would you not smile? The smiling secret. Total confidence that you are secured by something greater. So I'm gonna change that just a little. Total confidence that you are secured by someone greater. And that's Christianity. And this is what we can call our smiling secret. Now, some of you have tasted this, and you know exactly what I mean. Have you ever noticed that you can have this and be walking strongly in and through a season with a little smirk and a ha? And then you can lose that, uh, that smirk and that ha, and you can start to feel susceptible again. And so one of the keys for us as believers is to make sure that we remember the smiling secret, that we are secured by someone greater. I don't know if you guys see this uh, blinking light. Uh, it's this one right here. I don't know if that can be turned off or not, James. <laughs> it's very uh, pleasant. I'm, we've got a, a lot of strobe uh, lights going on. <clears throat> All right, this is a, an opportunity for me to smile, right? Right, right here, this is great. All right, so let's go through some smiles uh, in Scripture. The smile of David when facing Goliath. Now, when you hear the word smile, you just think like pleasant smile, like, oh, how nice. But these are sakak smiles. These are the sort of smiles where everything is going bad. Everything Im- seems impossible, and yet someone is going to choose to smile. And that is something very, very special. So we'll call this the smile of David, and of course, when facing Goliath, that great moment, where you have this impossible-to-defeat warrior. David is this little, you know, diddly squat character, and he's standing up against someone. I mean, some translations say, you, know, nine uh, feet tall. And that's when you measure him according to a short cubit. I don't know why we would use the short cubit. No one knows. So why would we not use the long cubit, which makes him 12 and a half feet tall? And so this is a massive uh, challenge. And yet David's response to it is uh, quite shocking. 1 Samuel 17, 45, and then I'm going to skip to 47. This is just a summary. He's going to give a whole speech uh, to Goliath. After Goliath is like, what am I, a dog that you come at me with sticks? And then David uh, says to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. Now listen to David's secret. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So David knows a couple things that Goliath doesn't. First of all, that he has found refuge somewhere. Where? In the name of the Lord. You see, he has functioned in the name. In the New Testament, when you are praying, when you understand a good godly prayer, in fact, probably every single one of you has employed it, how do you finish your prayers? In the name of Jesus. Amen. That's a position. That is a statement of where you're praying from. You see, you are praying in Christ. In his name. Well, where is he seated? He's seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. So who are you addressing? The Father. In the name of Jesus. You are seated in heavenly places in Christ. You are praying from a position of authority and strength. David is standing here before Goliath in the name of the Lord of hosts. Does Goliath know what he's messing with? David is confident even in a situation like this. For the battle is the Lord's. Do you know that? That your battle is not yours, it is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. The smile of Elijah when taking on the priests of Baal. So do you guys remember it hasn't rained for three and a half years? And all Israel has gone to the dogs. That's a pretty good way of saying it. Not only do we have a drought and everything is quite miserable in Israel but it hasn't rained, and Ahab and Jezebel have taken control. Uh, Should I just say Jezebel has taken control? I'm not sure that Ahab had any control, right? And she's killed off all the prophets. We have one guy left. At least that's the way Elijah looks at it. One guy. And he's going to stand up against the entire system of government and religion in the land of Israel. Okay, now if you're doing that wouldn't you think the guy should tremble a little? Instead, what does he do? He pulls off a little sakak He has a smirk on his soul. So here's just a little moment that we can relish. Uh, and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, okay, so this is all the priests of Baal that are trying to call down fire from heaven. There's hundreds and hundreds of them and Elijah is all by his lonesome. And what does he do? It says uh, that Elijah mocked them. You see, this is the way you feel when you're standing behind the shield of faith. Is that all you got? He is literally going to mock them. This is the entire governmental system. This guy should be hiding behind a rock. He should be fearful, shouldn't he? No, he's well clothed. So this is how he mocks them. He says, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he is meditating or he is busy or he is on a journey or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. And what I want to say to Elijah in my natural manner is, shh, quiet. Let's not aggravate them because you're next on the dinner menu if they get upset. Instead, he knows who he represents. He represents Jehovah God. And Elijah is just about to call down fire from heaven and consume the altar and then kill all the priests of Baal and the grove. Uh, quite a dramatic scene that he seems to be anticipating, but our humanity cowers before this situation. The smile of Elisha when surrounded by the Syrians. So uh, Elisha and his servant wake up one morning, and suddenly they're surrounded by this entire Syrian army. Most of us would think of panicking, but Elisha seems to just sip his coffee and, you know, uh, think about what he's going to do for the rest of his day. What's on his uh, agenda list? But his servant gets his attention like, alas, master, what are we to do? We're surrounded. And then this is Elisha's response. Elisha answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then he's going to say, open my servant's eyes that he would see, and he's going to see mountains full of horses and chariots of fire all around Do you see that? In your spiritual life right now, are you seeing in your circumstance, whatever it is, whether it's the Goliath, whether it is the prophets of Baal and the entire governmental system standing against you, or whether it is a Syrian army surrounding you, do you see horses and chariots of fire all around? Because if you do, why would you fear a Syrian army? It would be irrational. It wouldn't make any sense if you actually saw that. So let's go through some smile verses. Isn't that a fun thought, that there are smile verses in Scripture? Yeah, there's there's verses that actually should get you to smile. Just as if you saw, your eyes were open and you saw horses and chariots of fire all around you. If you guys could see the power of God right now, just imagine that we could have a little visit to the throne room of grace right now. And we could see him high and lifted up and his train filling the temple. If we could hear his booming voice, it sounds like the, the sound of many rushing waters if we could have that anticipation and see a little Revelation 21, the rider on the white steed with the sword protruding out of his mouth and that uh, tattoo that reads, King of kings and Lord of lords on his thigh. If we could see that, how would we respond to our circumstances right now? If we were to understand in a greater degree that he has given us everything we need for life and godliness, he has given us armor, In which to live out this life, he has given us a shield of faith, which repels all the fiery darts, fiery arrows of the evil one. Would we fear a fiery dart? So part of what we are struggling with is sight, and like that servant of Elisha, we can't see the reality, and that's part of the devil's business: is he wants to blur, he wants to disturb, he wants to distract us from the truth so that we would be wobbly needs, so that we would give way to discouragement, so that we would give way to despair. Smile verses. Psalm 46, 2. Now, you're going to notice in this smile verse that it has therefore in it, which is a terrible way to ever quote a scripture, right? Because it means that something was said right before it, but that's very purposeful. <laughs> I want you to see the smile portion here. Therefore, because of something that was just said, we will not fear even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Whatever was said right before this scripture must be pretty impressive, would you admit? Because whatever was said caused this to come to a conclusion of even if the earth be removed and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, we will not fear. I cannot think of a more extreme thing to happen than the earth being removed and the mountains you know, caving into the sea. And yet, whatever was said right before this causes and leads to the conclusion of the therefore that we will not fear, even in that circumstance. Which means I'm going to struggle with coming up with a different circumstance which would be reasonable to fear. So we're going to give the Great line at the beginning. The one that led to that sort of conclusion, and here it is, Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, you see, if you know that, that's a smile scripture. If you know that God is your refuge, if you know that he is your strength, if you know that he is a very present help in any trouble, then when Goliath stands before you, when the governmental systems of Ahab and Jezebel and their entire religious system of the priests of, the, of Baal and the Grove stand directly against you and you're the only man standing, when the Syrian army surrounds you, do you know this to be true? So here's our remix, if, if, we, if we wrote things this way or, or sometimes just reread them this way, it sometimes can help, okay? Same scripture, but I'm just going to reorient it so you can hear it with fresh ears. We will not fear even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, because God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. So here's another smile scripture, guys. Hebrews 13.6, now you'll notice that it starts with so, and that's not a normal way to start anything, right? And so that means something was just said, which leads to a conclusive statement like so, as a result of this, this is true. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? So again, we must have had something great that was just said, because it is leading to such a strong conclusion that we will not fear. Doesn't matter what man can do, we do not fear whoa i want to know what was just said aren't you guys intrigued so here it is guys for he himself has said i will never leave you nor forsake you so we may boldly say the lord is my helper i will not fear what can man do to me this is how we use the truth these are promises for our soul. This is what is supposed to strengthen us in the day of testing, in the day of trial. We're supposed to have what is written in our soul so that we can smile along with that she in Proverbs 31. So here's our remix of Hebrews 13, five through six. Same scripture, just oriented different. We may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Because he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So I added a little something just so you can see it. And that is, we may boldly smile and say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Because this is what we do as the bride of Christ. We boldly smile, and we know that we fear nothing. She can smile because every storm, every trial, every shortfall, every challenge, every threat, every weapon fashioned against, every conspiratorial attack, every plot to exterminate, every effort to sabotage, and every obstacle that stands in the way will not prevail. Just as we see with Joseph as he talks with his brothers and he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good to save many people alive. And what we see in Romans 8 is that God takes everything, all things, and works them for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So if we know that God is going to convert everything the enemy has up his sleeve, everything he intends for harm, everything he intends for evil, and it gets converted into good for us, why should we fear it? He's the ultimate recycling machine. The enemy throws in junk and God spits out treasure. And that's our life right there in a nutshell. And we are confident of this very thing. That when the enemy... Harms us, when the enemy schemes to destroy us, Haman always hangs on his own gallows. That is the principle of God's kingdom. That which attempts to sabotage is ultimately judged and condemned. We, those that find refuge in the well built house, do not fear the storm. That storm, that tornado could be aimed straight at your life, and yet you can rest secure knowing that God will convert even that tornado into greater strength for your soul. Psalm 2 1 through 4. This is another scripture that isn't a she smiles, but this is a he smiles. Speaking of the Messiah, Psalm 2 is one of the classic messianic uh, psalms that even the Jews would recognize as a clear picture of the Messiah. As New Testament believers, we look back at the Old Testament, we see Jesus everywhere, right? But for the Jews, they had very specific spots that they said that is speaking directly of the Messiah or the anointed one, which is uh, what would be the, you know, Messiah is the term even means anointed. In In the Greek, we say Christos or Christ. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, or against his Christ. Saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall sekoch. He does it too, guys. He shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. This is actually what God does when the nations rage and the people plot. So Psalm 2.4, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Or another translation could be smile because it's the same Hebrew word. C.T. Studd says it this way. It's a great quote. If God who sits in the heavens can laugh, his children on earth should be loyal enough to do exactly as their father does. You see, this is what we could call godly behavior. That smile of the bride is actually obedience. It is actually the nature of God being revealed in and through the bride. If God were in that same situation, how would he respond? He would sekoch. He would smile. He would laugh. So what do we do? We do precisely as our God would do in that same circumstance. Why? Because our God lives inside of us. Our God is animating our life with his very Holy Spirit so that we can behave and respond and reply to the circumstances around us the way that he would desire us to. Here's another C.T. Stud quote that I've actually never heard. Uh, Nathan is probably bound to have uh, heard this before because he has every quote imaginable. But I, I just thought this was pretty good, and it fit. A good thing to have up your sleeve is a sanctified funny bone. You see, if you're gonna be a true believer in the sense of what God intends, you have to know how to laugh and you have to know when to wield that laugh. So I like it, a sanctified funny bone. Where you're not crude, you're confident in God's working. And so therefore, I, I think we all could use a little of that and know when to smile and when to laugh. So I started out with this screen. She smiles, she smirks, She laughs, she rejoices, she playfully anticipates. So is it true of you that you are smiling at the future? That you are smiling at the days to come? That you are looking into your future and you see something good? That's a a very challenging thing for many people today. We have so filled our minds with disaster and doom that we have a tough time seeing that our future is actually Jesus. I mean, you look to the end of Revelation, what are you gonna see? You don't see doom, you don't see disaster, you see Jesus. And that's our future, that is our hope. All is turned to good. Will there be challenge? Sure. Will there be trials? Sure. Will there be traumas? Yeah. But guess who's gonna be present with us? He will never leave us nor forsake us. Greater are those that are with us than those that are against us. If God be for us, who can stand against us? You see, this is our reality. And we know that the enemy does not win. We know that Haman, the one who is erecting a cross to hang Mordecai on, is actually the one that will be hung on that very cross. We have a confidence in God's ways. Because he is God. Revelation 21, 2, and then verse 9. So this is speaking of the bride of Christ, which I'm going to say is very likely the best way of interpreting the she in Proverbs 31, not to diminish the fact that it's, it could be talking about of just a virtuous woman. I'm not going to decry that. However, there is an application that goes far beyond that that hints towards what God is going to do in the new covenant. And that is, he is going to build himself a bride. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. It's just such a weird, interesting phrase there. I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. Now, when you look at this bride... This lamb's wife, what are you going to see? What will we see? She smiles. That's what we will see. We'll see radiance. We'll see confidence. We'll see one who has put her confidence in her bridegroom and knows that he will not fail her. That is the countenance of the bride. Total and complete confidence in the groom. He said he will do it. He will do it. Why don't you fear that incoming arrow? Because I know my bridegroom protects me. This is the entire countenance of this bride, the lamb's wife. Choosing to smile right now, because technically this isn't just a theoretical message, this is for us right here, right now. We have to deliberately choose to agree with this reality. If you have been controlled by anxiety and fear, God needs to touch that because that isn't how we live as believers. It does not mean we're not all susceptible to it. Oh, we are. And we've grown up in a church system that is not aggressively dealt with it. We have very lightly and casually encouraged around it. But it is debilitating to the spiritual life. So what God wants to do is clothe us in strength. He wants to equip us to actually stand in the midst of a culture that is falling to pieces, that is headed in a wrong direction, and smile the way his bride ought to smile. Look, there's the lamb's wife. She's smiling. So choosing to smile right now, are you facing a giant? On that, that could look a lot of different ways, just something that you can't overcome. You have no solution for it. Do you have an evil king and queen hunting you down? Are you surrounded by the Syrian army? Is there a lion in your way? So, technically, I think all of you should conclude that you probably have smaller problems than any of the ones revealed in Scripture. And yet, what did they do in Scripture? They smiled. And so, we have been given something far different than the earth being removed and the mountains crumbling into the sea. We have very smallish challenges that we're facing, but to us, they're huge. I've oftentimes said it's like skiing, where you get on a bunny hill when you first put on skis, and it's terrifying. And you crash going down a bunny hill. What was about three feet high, and you you crash because you're not used to the coordination. And then when you first go on your green, your first green, you wouldn't believe how challenging that is. And you go down in your snowplow as you're going down the hill and you're scared to death as you're seeing people zoom by you and you're like, how do they do that? And then as you graduate up, you become more and more familiar. Like when you get familiar with a blue, which is the next level up beyond a a green, you actually go back to that bunny hill and you mock it. It's like, and then you start looking at that green and you're like, I was scared of that. In your Christian life, God wants to graduate you up so that you can look back at things that did paralyze you in your your first steps and you can realize that was nothing. Did you see the faithfulness of my God? You're gaining balance. Pretty soon you're gonna be jumping out of helicopters and landing on double black diamond sides of cliffs. And you'll look back at some of these early trials that you had and you will hold them in contempt. It's like I can't believe I listened to that. But what I wanna encourage you to do is just not listen to it now. Just anticipate the fact that God is growing you and you're going to practice with some sekoch in your soul. That you are going to, like the one enthroned in heaven, you're going to laugh and hold in derision the conspiratorial efforts of the enemy to destroy your life, to try and downplay the goodness of your God, his faithfulness. And you look back and say, he is faithful and he is true. Watch what my God will do. So the final one is, is there a lion in the way? It's, you know, Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, He's trying to get to the, what is it, the House Beautiful and uh, Palace Beautiful. And there's lions along the way. And that oftentimes is what causes us to turn. Instead of recognizing that's just part and parcel of the course. The enemy is always going to put a roar in the midst of your path to try and deviate you from walking the straight and narrow. So let's we can finish with a C.T. Stud quote. When someone says there's a lion in the way, the real Christian promptly replies, well, that's hardly enough inducement for me. I want a bear or two beside to make it worth my while to go. There's the sekoch of God right there. That's the humor of heaven. That's the sanctified funny bone. The one that is able to smirk back at the challenges as opposed to fall into the fetal position and suck our thumb in terror. Our God is in control. We just have to freshly remember that. Father, we need your grace to intersect our lives. Lord, we can hear a truth like this, but we need the grace to activate it, to say yes to move into a position of trust and confidence instead of a position of self-defensiveness and self-preservation. Lord, we want to entrust ourselves to you, to enter into that well-built house, to enter into you as a refuge and a strength and a very present help, to enter into you as armor and to hold up that shield of faith and to have confidence that not one fiery arrow can make it through. Lord, you are faithful, and we, your bride, believe. pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellersley campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.